Welcome to another episode of the Leaders Performance Podcast and this new mini-series which we are calling At Home With Leaders. Like most industries, sport is on complete shutdown, so this podcast will attempt to uncover what the smart people within high performance are doing now or will do in the future while business is not usual. I'm Matthew Stone, Senior Product Manager here at Leaders Performance Institute and alongside me as co-host on this mini-series will be a good friend of both leaders and myself, Steve Gera, who is the CEO of Gaines Group, which is of course the business that helps sports clubs create new businesses. Steve, how are you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, you know, um, out here in California, but everything's good. So we're bringing you a slate of guests from uh, the sports performance world to talk about what they're doing, what their teams are handling right now, how they're going to thrive in this new state of play so that we can all get to thinking about what we're going to be doing as a teams uh, to contribute to the reboot of Sports 2.0. Absolutely, we're looking forward to it. So our first guest on the mini-series uh, is Mark Shapiro, the President and CEO of the Toronto Blue Jays, obviously within the MLB. Mark, how are you today? I'm good, Matt. Good to talk to you. Um, like like both of you, I'm at home and adjusting to what is a, a new normal and uh, got my workout in, as I'm sure Steve's going to do shortly after we're done and just finding my way through a, a full day ahead. Absolutely. What's, what's your work setup like at home? What can you see right now? I've uh, I've got a kind of a, a mirror image of what I've got in the office. I've got a stand-up desk, uh, a laptop, uh, but with a, a keyboard and a big screen. And by myself, most of these days, just a string of phone calls and and uh, Zoom calls and a mixture of being on and off the tablet and the uh, the laptop doing work. But it's 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 certainly different than I would normally be doing this time of year. I'm sure. I'm sure it's usually a very busy time of you, uh, of year for you, um, and I'm sure it is at home as well. How how was the family both at home and also the family within the the Blue Jays organization right now? Yeah, I think you know one of the things I've seen that is a you know maybe a, just a reflection of the human spirit is not a lot of complaining. You know, there's maybe some anxiety that enters in from time to time, uh, whether it's my own teenage kids that you know have had their lives interrupted, which would normally be on fields and <laughs> in classrooms and instead are within the confines of a house and not pursuing their dreams, uh, you know, tangibly, but kind of putting those thoughts on hold, but not complaining, just kind of finding creative ways to learn and grow and, and get better. And, uh, and that, that's been really cool to see for that subset of our population. And as far as the organization goes, I think the reality that this is the challenge we're facing is not isolated to the Blue Jays. It's not isolated to Major League Baseball. It's not isolated to sport. It's a global issue and a global challenge. I think that people park complaints, park self-pity, and just while they still have to balance uh, mental health and well-being and the anxiety that comes with some of the feelings that are that are natural for such an interrupted course, uh, everybody's focused on trying to be positive and trying to focus on where are the opportunities to get better uh, in a very unusual scenario. And how's the how's the city of Toronto as well? Toronto, uh, I think, mirrors you know all large international cities. There's maybe an underlying fear that the same circumstances and conditions that you know made new york such a hot point um it's a very international city it's very densely populated the public transportation is uh, a key driver in the city for moving people around yet 
um, the the leaders of the city and the province uh, were were pretty proactive, and it feels like we may have you know made efforts ahead of the curve and and you know minimize the impact. Certainly, there is no avoiding it. So, what time will tell whether we're behind other major cities and in, in what they're undergoing or whether we were able to may, maybe fare a little better. Mark, you were, uh, you're, you're obviously at the top of your organization. And so you're, um, you're spending a lot of your time, I'm sure, kind of in triage mode right now. Um, a lot of folks like have, are taking this opportunity um, or looking to, at this as an opportunity to, to basically either upskill themselves, learn something new or do something different. I know you talk about learning culture a lot. So Aside from the business triage component that you're obviously, you know, engulfed in every single day, how are you spending your time? Are you upskilling yourself in like very specific things? Are you like thinking big picture? How are, how are you spending your time right now? Well, I would I would like to be able to <laughs> sound a little more um, introspective and reflective. I don't know whether it's because everything is so new, but the bulk of my time has been extremely busy and probably about 80% of that time, just scenario planning, uh, you know, probably, you know, 75% of that Blue Jay centric, 25% of that uh, league MLB centric. Um, and then the other 20% is spent connecting, uh, connecting with the broader organization at every level leadership uh, in totality um, and I think that's probably, Steve, where the biggest challenge lies, because the scenario planning is not pleasant. You know, it's largely, you know, kind of thinking about different opportunities to get back to normal, but recognizing that there's going to be a lot of challenges between here and there uh, and how to best manage a business, you know, in that in that pause. And then the other 20%, I think I need to balance hope and optimism, which is real because we are going to play baseball again and baseball is going to play a role. So I, there, is a, there is a portion of my time that has allowed for maybe a little more time for the personal growth. I would say I'm going deeper down the rabbit hole on Twitter than I normally would, which means just following, uh, you know, maybe reading more articles uh, and following more chains than I normally would have time to follow that I would just glance at and save the articles for later. I'm, I'm reading those now. Nice. Okay. And then like, personally, have you, uh, like a lot of people have gotten into, you know, like kind of delving into their guilty pleasures, maybe Twitter's your, your guilty pleasure to a certain degree. Have you, uh, have, have you kind of gone on any, any of those rabbit holes? Um, like tiger, have you, have you gotten into the Joe exotic and, uh, in some of these <laughs> other like crazy documentaries and, and, uh, shows that are on right now? Yeah, I would say, you know, that I'm definitely have upped my Netflix usage, uh, caught up uh, on Westworld and Ozark. You know, the new season came out, so I'm trying to get finished the last season to, to watch that a little bit. I'm, I've had more of an opportunity. You know, there are teenage kids that would normally be in and out of my house as kind of just sh passing shadows. They're, they're here more, so it's an opportunity to try to connect uh, and have more in-depth conversations with them. So um, and then, like I said, the, uh, you know, the, the Twitter piece, uh, is certainly a little more time there than, than I normally would. And I would say, you know, again, looking at the positives, I'm, I'm talking to my extended family more than I would, you know, my dad, my brother, my sisters, uh, on the phone with them, we've been doing family zoom calls in addition to, um, you know, the, the, all the work zoom calls. So again, I think sometimes it takes, you know, 
times like this to reflect on what's most important to us. And that causes us to, to, to have a direct set of actions. And that a lot of my extra time has been spent doing that. Excellent. Yeah, no, it's what, you know, what kind of coming back to the team, you know, what, what do you think are the unintended consequences of this shutdown that you're seeing or thinking about right now? Like, you know, I think, you know, you, right. you you kind of alluded to a few things there earlier. There, there are a lot of unattended consequences that we're all going to be seeing here, um, such as people are actually calling their families more right now. Right. 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 And people are reconnecting with their families. Like I was looking at some data the other day that said that AT&T actually saw a huge spike in real honest to goodness conversations as opposed to Zoom and um, FaceTime and other things, right? So we're actually connecting with human beings in different ways right now. That's an unattended consequence. What are some of the things that you're going to see from sport um, and or some of the things that you're thinking about right now? Well, I think we're going to have to, we're going to have to increase our level of open-mindedness and the way we connect with fans, um, the way we think about our game, the way we uh, actually, we actually play and produce our game and the way our fans consume our game because the, the path back is likely to be a long one. It's likely to have transitional stages along the way, not just move from, you know, zero to normal. Um, so uh, I think there also will be an enhanced uh, sense of appreciation for the ability to play the game, the ability to work in the game and the ability to watch the game. So whether you're, uh, a participant, a player, or a coach, uh, a front office executive or employee, and your your life's work involves you know helping uh, build teams and and produce games, or whether you're a fan and you all of a sudden found yourself not being able to watch or consume sport of any kind anywhere uh, other than than rebroadcasts. Um, there's going to be an appreciation for that, and I think. Um, the only thing, Steve, that, that will be unintended, and, and again, I guess I would choose to find the potential positive here is I would hope there would be a greater alignment uh, between players and teams and owners and management in Major League Baseball um, in, in helping to be open-minded and facilitate uh, those things happening uh, safely, uh, but uh, maybe differently than we've ever done it before, because I think we're going we're gonna to have to do that. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think this this is definitely in sports re- making the owners and the players realize just how much they really, really need each other. You know, if we, the players need the platform, then the platform needs the players. So, uh, yeah, I think that's yeah. a, that's a that's a good point. That's my hope. I mean, I think that uh, you know we we spend too much time divided. You know thinking about what's in it for us. And, you know, I think there's, a, there's, there's, when you reflect, you reflect on how fortunate we are to, to spend our life around an incredible game like baseball or whatever your sport may be. And so um, the desire to get back and to get back better than we were before we left, I think that, you know, hopefully that would be a, an unintended consequence and a, a positive one. I completely agree. And, you know, there's a 99% bad coming out of this, but there would definitely be some positives in the way and, which people think, you know, we, we as in a, a, a business are obviously thinking on our feet with, with virtually how we're connecting with people and running events. I mean, how is your team going to handle getting back to business, do you think, Mark? Are you thinking about new ways to interact with, with the players and also the fans as well? Well, we're, we're certainly having to do that now. Um, and again, I, I would say, like, we're, we're trying to utilize the, the pause and the time down um, while 
myself and some other leaders maybe are having our days jam-packed with scenario planning. We've got, you know, a big part of our organization that would normally be on the field in a training room, in a weight room, or in an office right now working that doesn't have the same uh, stimulus and doesn't have the same, you know, work in front of them. So we're, I think, you know, the ability to kind of, collab, you know, reinforce collaboration, to reinforce learning, growth, development, and progress, uh, and then hopefully take that and carry that forward when we resume playing because of the time spent on those relationships, the time spent with that integration and with that collaboration, um, that again could be something that we, we move forward with the projects that are now being done, the time that is now being spent and the relationships that are being built to some extent, although we're not face-to-face, there are new relationships being built uh, and forced to be uh, built due to the circumstance. So what, um, that, that's, it's, it's, it's an, it's such an interesting, you know, kind of point around, around like the way that we're all going to be kind of getting back to this, right? Like we may be zooming more, we may be doing more virtual meetings, less traveling. The fans may imp- be impacted. Um, and I want to get your thoughts on, on some of these things that probably should exist or may need to exist post um, COVID-19 because like one of the things we've been talking about a lot recently is like our fans going to want to stand in line in really long lines to get in the stadiums now, like how nervous will people be to stand in lines? So what are some of the things that you think should exist or maybe that we need to be thinking about doing when we actually get back from the shutdown? Yeah, it's hard for me to be so speculative and, you know, it's kind of a, uh, a, a dangerous path to walk down. I think, you know, putting fan safety first, uh, and player safety, you know, with fan safety is going to be essential. I think just like every other business and every other industry in the world, you know, you kind of have the triumvirate of, you know, testing on both levels, who has the antibodies, who has the virus, um, you know, rapid response testing, which doesn't exist and, and proficiency of the testing, which is not, you know, available therapeutics, uh, and then ultimately a vaccine. Like those are the three things that we'll all be watching that will allow a complete return to normalcy. So Steve, what you're talking about is kind of the in-between, right? Like we could reach stages where containment is more of a reality. We've mitigated the largest impact and we can return to some sort of modified normal and what that looks like we're spending time on now, but I think it's dangerous to kind of be too speculative and, and get out there publicly with too many of those conversations. I just think it will be dependent on progress on those three areas. And then it will be always putting fan safety and player safety first. So we won't resume any level until I think there's progress and, and some progress on one or two of those areas. I think just on that as well, you know, it's, um, I mean, that all makes makes complete sense. I'm not sure how much interaction you have with the athletes themselves. I'm sure your coaches and, and performance staff do, but they must be, they must really want to be getting on that field and playing, right? You know, that must be the, such a strange feeling for not only yourself and, and the organisation and the front office, but the players as well. I don't know if you've had any interaction with the players or the coaches are giving any inklings about that. Yeah, I think it's, it's you know, it's interesting. It's such a broad a diverse set of circumstances players find themselves in. So some, you know, obviously we always gravitate towards just thinking about the star players who have made a lot of money and have great setups at home with gyms and batting cages and 
facilities, but there are thousands of minor league players that, you know, never got big signing bonuses and don't make much money that are left to try to figure out like how can they train in isolation, um, you know, with no access to the universities and the gyms and the facilities that they normally would train in. And uh, we are, we have a systematic process for reaching out for providing them resources. But I, I would say this, Matt, that, you know, first and foremost, we are making sure that their health and well-being is taken care of, their mental health and well-being. So I, I don't think anyone, whether it's a staff or whether it's a, a player for us, a uniform player, can make any progress or focus on what it means to return unless they first develop uh, a systematic approach to how do you stay mentally healthy in what is a totally unfamiliar circumstance and in which you have very little control. And for me, that always gets back to what are the things within your day you can control and how do we focus on those instead of the, you know, broad set of circumstances around us, which causes us to have the baseline of control of not being able to leave our homes or our apartment yeah. or our condominium. So, um, you know, we are connecting with our players. We're trying to be individualized in how we uh, approach them. They have a thirst to get back to play, but, while I think initially there may have been some minimizing the impact of this, and this is just a slight disruption, all of them see what's going on globally right now. No one is minimizing the impact. Everybody is focused on not pushing back until the time is right. And then, okay, accept that. Now, how do I make sure that I am, me and our loved ones around us are in a mentally healthy uh, environment and taking care of ourselves. Once that's taken care of, the next step is, okay, how do I prepare, you know, to ensure I'm ready? And then finally, like the third step would be, oh, are there opportunities to not just prepare, but to get better, to utilize this, this unintended, you know, respite and pause to find a way to grow, develop, learn, you know, in a way creatively that, that wouldn't normally exist. Absolutely. And you, and you touched on mental health there. And I know that's incredibly important to, to your organization and, and many organizations um, moving slightly away from, you know, the, the, the current situation that we're in and, and more to a broader discussion, I guess, but how are you seeing organizations evolve uh, and, and how different are they now compared to, to when you started out at the, at the Indians as well in 91? This is, this is the question that makes me feel old and dated and just sound <laughs> like a fossil when I respond. So, um, you know, 29 years in, in Major League Baseball and the evolution of professional sport is beyond belief and really encouraging and really exciting. And I think uh, forces me every single day to to think about how do I get better and how do we surround ourselves with people who have, you know, unbelievably new insight knowledge and can help make us better as an organization. So um, I think, you know, what you're doing with leaders, um, the kind of work Steve has done in his life and, and how he's applied that to, to sport leaders. It was largely when I came in an insular business, right? That was very controlled by a small number of people that was largely only focused on what happened on the field uh, and, and really ultimately left to kind of survival of the fittest, like throw the bats and balls out and the cream will rise to the top. And the fact is that's true. 
but as smarter and smarter people entered in and we've layered more and more resources mentally, physically, and fundamentally, um, and the margins have gotten smaller and smaller as far as where competitive advantages lie, it's forced organizations to be more and more open-minded, to be more and more growth-focused, and to seek uh, influence, to seek ideas, to seek learning far outside of the traditional uh, environment. So uh, I, I love that. I mean, it's, uh, it's more than ever. If you are closed-minded, if you are not humble, open, and learning-focused, you are losing. You are falling behind. If you maintain uh, a, a very traditional approach, it doesn't mean you won't have success, but sustainable success is probably not in your windshield. And so uh, it's, it's more and more dependent on collaboration. It's more and more dependent on a broad uh, set of skills, a broad set of experiences, a broad set of, of life experiences uh, that, are, that are far from traditional. And it's more and more dependent upon building a culture focused on learning. And I think that, that um, that's exciting to me as a 53-year-old executive because I can wake up every day still thinking about how, how I can get better and the people around me ensure that happens because they're so much smarter and, and they're bringing so much more to the table than, than what I can bring to the table. Mark, on that, so how do you, how do you check that? Like how do, you, how do you consistently check that learning culture? And, and you've said it in the past, you talk about trying to build a, an organization that's, uh, you know, that has humility, that collaborates, and that it empowers one another. Um, and that's like, you know, from your top leadership down to, you know, the interns in your organization, but how do you, how do you like really check that? Because I think that's what a lot of the folks out there who are probably listening to this struggle with is yeah. we can set the organization, we can set the culture, but how do I make sure that it's actually healthy all the time? So I would say a couple things, Steve. One, the underlying business reality of our circumstance is that if we have hierarchical thinking, if we have hierarchical decision-making, um, or systems that we're, we are largely going to be only as good as the talent we've got um, or only as good as our uh, objective expectations, which means we are not going to win championships. We're not going to beat large market teams like the Yankees and Red Sox. So the underlying knowledge lies within our organization that we have to outperform expe objective expectations. And for that to happen, um, you know, we have to do exceptional work and exceptional work is just never, you know, is not usually driven or dependent upon one person. It's, it's you know, to say that one person's uh, intellect, one person's experience, one person's skills are going to outperform a group of, of skills, a group of experiences and group, uh, in a, a, you know, a group of uh, people thinking together uh, is just is, is nonsensical. So the way we would the way we would ensure that's the case uh, is that uh, we start with our hiring process. You know, I think nothing is more important than the way we hire. We hire uh, with our values at the forefront of everything we're doing from a collaborative approach to hiring across the departmental approach to uh, a line of questioning and insights that are largely focused on collaboration, learning, empowerment, um, focusing on excellence and, and mutual respect and trust. And looking for people that have exhibited those things in their lives that, that are drawn to that. Um, and then ultimately with the understanding that every person we bring in, their expectation is not to earn their dues, is not to kind of pay their dues uh, and then earn the opportunity to impact. 
but the expectation is to make us better the day they enter the organization. And so uh, I would say our success, we live with the underlying understanding that our success is not, it's not just important to our success for those values to be lived on a daily basis, but our success is 100% dependent upon those values. So it's not just feel good, vision, mission, values, you know, this is our only chance to scale competitive advantage. And those are the things that not just me, but our leadership talks about on a daily basis. Um, whenever we need a compass, you know, to ensure that we stay on course, those are the things we fall back on. And whenever we think about a new initiative or process, we are stress testing it against our values. Are we collaborating? Are we learning? Are we empowering? You know, are we focused on high standards and expectations and are we demonstrating re respect and trust for each other? You uh, you mentioned competitive advantage there, Mark. Um, and I've been, you know, talking to you and a few of the other staff like you know, Angus and Dara the, the last couple of years. And was it 75 percent of the new training facility in, in Florida must be must be complete, yeah. complete now? How, how excited are you about this? And, and, and seriously, you know, how it. How are you seeing that as a competitive advantage, you know, not just recruiting and people as you talked about, but structurally, how, how, how is that going to be a competitive advantage for you? Yeah, I mean, that's it's one of the greatest. Uh, it, it is one of the single biggest opportunities I saw when I came to the Blue Jays about five years ago. And, and you know, we're going to go from literally we're skipping two generations, Matt. We're going from last generation uh, spring training facility that was built largely just to train and prepare for a season to next generation um, rehabilitation and training facility that's meant to be used 365 days a year is designed thanks to people like Darren Angus and all of our staff with um, collaboration in mind with putting the player at the center of every single thing we do. So as we thought about the player and, and you know, when I came and saw you in London and looked at EPL facilities like Tottenham and others, you know, we, we drew from every single facility we could find in every single sport and business in the world to be thoughtful about how do we design player experience to ensure that they're getting the best from the resources we have nutritionally, uh, mental performance wise, baseball coaching wise, analytically, technology and sports science wise, um, strength and conditioning, medically. So we're thinking very carefully about all those things as we as we design this building. And now to see that building come out of the ground, uh, well out of the ground, to see studs up and drywall going up and walls start to be formed and to recognize when we do resume, uh, we're likely to be in that building. Um, it's got an opportunity to impact us culturally because it, it ref will reflect those same values I talked about. It's got an opportunity to reflect us performance-wise and I think it's got an opportunity to affect us, you know, emotionally because it's going to be a lift to walk into that building, which is a, a, a point of pride. And then finally, just logistically, because I think more players will be there, more players will live in that area, more staff will live in that area. And so we'll have a greater opportunity. But the, the greatest potential of that building remains unknown because it's had a really smart people like Dara, Angus. Matt Bushman, you know, Charlie Montoyo, all of our staff, how do they program that building to be as impactful as it can possibly be? And so that, that for me, 
is going to be exciting to watch unfold. Hey, Mark, to stay on the building there for one second. I've uh, I've been around some folks who, when they've been uh, when they've built their new practice facilities, they've like really focused on like specific things, or they've had like an aha moment where they're like, oh man, this is finally a moment where we can actually make everything at the same level as NBA players, like right? Because when NBA facilities were originally built a lot of them were actually not you know built for incredibly tall people which is crazy right. um but but like what 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 is are, g- give me a few of those or are there any like you know things that you like became obsessed over while you're building your your new facility and designing it or there's is there anything where you had like an aha moment on oh wow this can really make us better um i think being thoughtful about thinking about uh player the player the daily player experience like when they get out of their car What's the first thing they see? What do we want them to see as they flow through the building? How do we want them to experience what's inside that building? And how can that, in, if, we design, if we design with intent, how could that possibly impact their actual application of the resources? And then thinking about the people working within the building, how do we best ensure uh, mental, physical, and fundamental resources are all working together in spaces that are created for them uh, to collaborate. And so it was just really being thoughtful with intent, Steve, to every single space and the flow of that space. So those two things. Um, and then finally, the, the maybe the aha moment is, how do we stay flexible? Because the one thing we know is that the game and and performance is gonna continue to evolve. And so we can design a building that's best in class today, but how do we ensure that building has the flexibility to remain open to adapting to what's best in class three, five, 10 years from now? And I think we tried to do the best we could to future-proof it and create flexible spaces Uh, that will allow us to adapt without having to say, well, we built a great building in 2019 and 20, but by 2027, it was no longer, you know, that cutting edge. I think we want to ensure that what we have is going to be cutting edge 10 years from now. That's great. Flexible facility, like a flexible learning culture organization. I love it. Um, Mark, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, will, will enjoy listening to this. And, and whenever you whenever I've interviewed you on stage before or ever had conversations with you before, um, like people have come up to me and they've, they've talked about how how appreciative they, they are about your perspective. Um, I think you're viewed as you know, you're definitely viewed as being you know a preeminent leader in this industry. Um, and so kudos to you for that. But, you know, so I know a lot of people like they, they learn from the best leaders out there. Right. But people also learn from bad leadership. Right. And we're at and we're at this moment where we're seeing some very good leadership and we're seeing some bad leadership. Can you talk to us a little bit about like some good leadership that you've seen in your life that has influenced you? And then also maybe some bad leadership that has influenced you in your life? Yeah, I mean, I, it's interesting. I always go back to, you know, the, the people, the, the good leadership. First of all, I would say this, that, you know, I think you're 100 percent right, Steve. There's never. Um, there's never one person or one leader that you should model your leadership style after in order for it to be sustainable and authentic. Uh, you've got to do the, the personal work to know what your values are uh, and then to align yourself with people that share your values and help create those environments. Um, uh, so, you know, I can think of people in my life who have had major impacts on me, starting with my father, 
who obviously was involved in sports at some level along with, with you know, law and, and teaching. And, uh, but that's just more focusing on relationships, treating people well, not qualifying people. So that humility and openness uh, that my father exemplified and that, that uh, ability to treat people with compassion and empathy. And I think the further we go, the more we recognize that people like Brene Brown would probably say my dad was, were, was ahead of his time. You know, that he, you know, he was, he was modeling a lot of those attributes of vulnerability and empathy and compassion uh, that are at the base of leadership. So, um, and then I think obviously uh, John Hart and Dan O'Dowd from the level that they empowered me when I entered the game almost 30 years ago, their belief in me, the power of belief uh, when you're a young person entering in uh, and the and the impact of empowerment, uh, true empowerment, um, and finally, just kind of that that they were just focused on getting to the right answer, the best result. And so, and then I take people like Chris Antonetti, who worked for me for a long time and has far surpassed me as a leader in running the Indians now. And you know, Chris modeled for every day for me that that you know a lot of the same values I just mentioned. Uh, but also that relentless pursuit of getting to the best result, the right answer, not ever being consumed with who contributed or how they contributed, but only that, that pursuit of how do we get to the best you know, process, the best system, the best answer, the best result, regardless of who's contributing and, and stripping away all those other superficial uh, you know, uh, attributes and characteristics that sometimes get in the way of us getting to the best place. So, uh, and then I, and then I just think continually every day with the people that I'm surrounded with now, whether it's Ross Atkins or our business leaders or Angus or Dara or anybody else or Charlie, I'm, I think there's surrounding yourself with people who continue to push you to learn and push you to get better. And that you have to, uh, you have to continue to keep up with intellectually uh, and energy wise, you know, helps you get better. So, um, it's not hard to find examples of bad leadership. And I would just say this rather than point to individuals for me, those are largely based by people who are, who are, uh, dominated by their own insecurities, focus on their own control, uh, and largely, uh, stick to a hierarchical top-down approach to leading. That's great. Um, so before we let you go, they, I, I, we got to get one, you know, one good recommendation out of you, right? So either book, podcast, or some, or a show, or something that that's one of our listeners out there can go uh, can go spend some time with, um, you know, during these times when we we seemingly have a little bit extra time on our hands, um, that'll help them with their own leadership development because not everyone has the is, is going to have the benefit of like going out there right now and hanging out with a Chris Antonetti. But, but what are some of the things that, that someone can do for themselves? They can feed their brain right now. Yeah. So one thing I'd say is just, you know, we don't tend to take enough time focusing on our, our own internal compass, our own internal value system. Um, I think that uh, I, when I'm, as I'm always looking through resources that exist out there, uh, I've stumbled upon and have no personal relationship with the, uh, with Farnham Street and their weekly newsletter and blog, uh, Brain Food. Uh, I just think it's, it's ex incredibly thoughtful um, and often is a window into other great writers and, and you know, thought leaders and, and will lead you to some great places. It's a little more introspective. It, it's definitely values focused. 
Um, but it always gets back to how do we make, you know, what are the models for making the best decisions? And regardless of what we do, uh, where we enter in the sport, you know, what our level of involvement is, we all want to make better decisions and make the best decisions. And so frameworks for making those decisions are a lot of times where I focus. Uh, and, and certainly, um, you know, that's been a, a point of inspiration for me as I've, I've, as I've had time to reflect over the past year. That's been a new one for me. That's good. That's a great one. Um, well, hey, Mark, thank you very much. That was terrific and fast and furious. Um, thanks again for taking a few minutes to talk with us here today. Please stay safe. Good luck in the future. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate just wishing everyone uh, safety and wellness and, and be hopeful and optimistic because there will be a time that sport is a big part of our return to normalcy and, and we will play again. It's just a question of when. We're all excited for that to happen, but we want it to happen safely and at the right time. Absolutely. Uh, Mark, thank you from for me as well. Thank you, Steve. That was that was superb. Really enjoyable to, to chat with you, gents, uh, as usual. Uh, that's it for this episode, uh, but you can find this podcast and much more on the Leaders Content Hub. Uh, log in and search podcasts to find all the latest episodes, and they will also be available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred platform. Uh, we were lucky enough to have Mark speak at our uh, Leader Sport Performance Summit in London in 2017 and Atlanta in 2019. And those sessions, like others, are available to all our members on the Performance Hub at leadersandsport.com forward slash performance, where you'll also find best practice, high performance insights from across the world of sport. So thank you, gents. Until next time, stay safe and keep thinking. Speak soon. Thank you.